Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. I have the pleasure of having with me in the studio, or actually on the phone today, uh, Representative Sharon Cooper from the Georgia House of Representatives. She is the chairman of the House Health and Human Services Committee. She's been a champion for key legislation for patients and physicians in Georgia, including an HIV screening bill for pregnant women, Georgia's Smoke-Free Air Act, the Health Share Volunteers in Medicine Act, and she's known for being one of the hardest working and most honest, straightforward legislators in the state. Worth noting, she was married to the late Dr. Tom Cooper, who co-founded MAG's Doctor of the Day program at the state capitol. If I remember correctly, Representative Cooper, you're, you're nursing by background? That's right. As I am as well. And today we're going to be talking about a bill before the committee, House Bill 416, and it's going to be discussing the desire for doctors of optometry to be able to do eyelid injections, in addition to some other procedures that can come with some measure of risk, actually, like facial nerve blocks, intralesional injections, uh, including steroids, uh, some IV injections, actually, including dyes and contrast mediums. Those can obviously come with a risk of a pretty severe reaction that can cause some real problems. And I understand there's a measure of concern about why we should not allow that to happen. I'll talk a little bit about some of the history over time around legislation as it has advanced. Uh, I know from myself, uh, having been a part of healthcare for a while, there's always contentious discussions around scope of practice. And I know that, you know, each each particular set of clinicians uh, pushes for advancing authority and, and ability to handle certain aspects of care. If we look at the OD legislation in Georgia over time, optometrists in Georgia first gained prescriptive authority in 1988, allowing them to prescribe topical medications for diagnostic purposes and treatment of ocular diseases other than glaucoma for an unrestricted period of time. And then they were able to successfully lobby to expand this authority to include topical medications for glaucoma for up to 60 days, as well as prescriptions for oral analgesics for ocular pain that were Schedule 3 and Schedule 4 controlled substances for up to 72 hours. And over the years, prescriptive powers have, have been advanced in a number of different ways. And now we're talking about being able to do injections around the eye. And obviously, the physicians in ophthalmology out there in the world who handle these patients with their care have some concerns about why that might not be a good idea. So I appreciate Representative Cooper jumping on the phone with me to talk a little bit about what we're talking about here with this bill and what they're trying to achieve. If you will, Representative Cooper, just give us a quick background of this discussion, because from what I understand, I know this topic has been brought up at least once or twice before. And we're back again with a different name. Well, that's right. The first bill for this session came before the Health and Human Services Committee in the House, and it was defeated. So the authors of the bill, which happened to be the former rules chairman, Earl Earhart, and the current rules chairman, John Meadows, went back and they changed a few words and made it look like it was simpler, and they reintroduced it again. And so having to hear it again, even though my committee heard three hours of discussion on it from both sides, the majority, uh, it was close, decided that 
they did not want this bill to go forward because of the severity. What it does, uh, it would allow optometrists, and when we call them doctors, I think patients are very confused and they want people to be confused. It's ironic that House, House Bill 416 is the same number of a bill last year when the Medical Association moved a bill and and pushed a bill that would allow patients to know who was treating them. Mm-hmm. Lots, almost every specialty, nurses, physical therapists, can now get a PhD in their fields. And they are allowed to call themselves doctor. Like if I had a doctor in nursing, a doctorate of nursing, I could say that I was Dr. Sharon Cooper. Right. And patients are confused because in the hospital or in offices, you walk in and say, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And they don't know whether you are a medical doctor, nursing, or whatever. Right. And so we had a bill that that said you can say that you're a doctor, but you just have to wear a name tag big enough for the people to, to see it that says, what your doctor's in. I'm a doctor of optometrics. I'm a doctor of nursing. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. And guess who got themselves exempted? <laughs> the optometrist. They do not want patients to know. And and that is one of the problems. They're on a march, like you read the timeline, that will let them do laser surgery on the eye and a laser, use the laser on the eye and to do surgery. And They are trying to legislate the practice of medicine on the eye without going to medical school. And this is serious. You only have two eyes. They're very delicate organs. They don't regenerate if you do something to them, basically. And blindness is terrible. And so that's why this bill is so so wrong and so dangerous for patients. Um, They want to be able to inject the eyelid to do facial nerve blocks, to do uh, subcutaneous injections, like give them into the skin for anesthetics. Right. Uh, they want to do intramuscular injections, such as flu or giving uh, vaccines. They want to do subconjunctival injections, you know, for cortisone treatment of different eye conditions. And it opens up the PDR, uh, the pharmaceutical agents, allowing them to use any of those products that are in the uh, physician's reference on medications and would let them treat diseases and conditions of the eye with giving oral medication or injectable medications. This is with no medical school. This is, you know, four years of college and four years in an optometric program, which basically teaches you to fix a person for glasses. And, you know, they have reintroduced the bill. This is a new version that says they'll have 30 hours of training, 30 hours. Mm. That's basically a long weekend course to be able to inject into your eyelid and all around your eye. For a contrast, for folks who aren't necessarily familiar with the academic track, if you look at physicians, for example, they go through that four-year undergraduate preparation and then they go through the medical school program. But then if you want to come out and do surgery on the eye, for example, then you're going to be going through several years more, including residency that's then followed by general surgery that's then followed by the specialty focus of surgery on the eye. So they will have been trained for years, actually, instead well, of a few hours. Well, at least 12. <laughs> That's right. At least 12, and many, you know, 13 or 14 as they become specialized. Because even 
even regular ophthalmologists who've had all of this med school and this residency and this extra training on the eye, many of them do not even do what they're asking to do. They refer it more specialized ophthalmologists. To give an an equivalent comparison, you were talking about House Bill 416 calling for 30 hours of training. If you look at the physician and surgeon, they've got to do over 17,000. So (laughs) quite a disparity there in terms of preparation for, as you've described, something that could be completely life-changing if something goes awry. And it certainly can if you haven't done very many or you hadn't had a lot of training. If you look around the country, just because someone else is doing it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. But to give you a picture of who isn't doing it, 42 other states don't allow this to be to be done by optometrists, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Uh, but they're on a roll. They want to legislate their way to be doing, able to do what these highly skilled ophthalmologists are doing, and that's using lasers on your eye and doing surgery on your eyes. And I mean, it's just wrong, and it puts patients in a very precarious position. It is not safe to be, you know, let them do this. I saw a letter that they had sent out to raise money, and basically they said that. The ophthalmologists are very weak when it comes to dealing with the legislatures, and they feel like that they are on their way to legislating their ability to take care of all surgical needs of a patient. That was in one of their fundraising letters. They have said in other areas that they want to be your primary physician that you go to. I mean, they're just out of control. If you look at autonomy, for example, there's in the medical side of things, if you look at nurse practitioners, for example, physician assistants also, they are individuals who come through a different academic track than physicians. So the PAs at least share some of the academic uh, track of the physician. But when they get out, even though they do have a measure of autonomy, they do have a measure of prescriptive power, they can do a good number of, of procedures. But where are they performing those things? They're going to be under the supervision of a physician, typically in the same space, not always, but there's somebody that is is available and responsible for the oversight of the care that they are providing. If we look at the optometry space, they're essentially independent and and operating in their own offices in many cases. Do they have access to hospital privileges, for example? Can they care outside of that office space? I mean, I'm thinking about it from the perspective of what if something goes wrong if I'm in the office? Where do I go? Right. I mean, if you're in, you know what they're going to do? They're going to call an ophthalmologist (laughs) or send a patient, if it's a big emergency, to the emergency room. And no, they don't have admitting privileges. And if they go to the hospital, the hospital emergency room will be calling an ophthalmologist to try to rectify whatever has happened to them. And that's one of the problems. Now, you know, there are some practices where you will see an optometrist or several work in the same practice with ophthalmologists, but they do what they were trained to do, and that is to fit people for glasses. They're not doing the lasers. They're not doing surgeries. They're not doing what they're asking for. They are doing what they were trained for. Uh, Physician extenders are certainly necessary in this day day and age, like the nurse practitioners and like the PAs, but they have certain training, but they do not have the knowledge or the experience with patients that we require physicians 
I mean, one of the things I say around here, if we're just going to legislate to let people practice medicine, we need to shorten our medical schools. I mean, we're sending kids to school for eight years and then, I mean, college, four years of medical school, and at least four years of a residency and a specialty, and they're coming out with two and three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. If we're going to look, just legislate that all these other auxiliary specialties and stuff can then do what a a doctor does, an MD, we might as well shorten medical school and we take care of our doctor shortage. But that is not what is best for patients. But the legislature has the power to do this. And you get some legislators, I mean, the optoms in this state give a lot of money, a whole lot of money to legislators. The doctors are out there and can't always compete with them money-wise. And the doctors are out there taking care of patients every day doing what they're supposed to do, which is to deliver the best care that they possibly can to patients. And they don't understand that sometimes we're down here doing things that are very dangerous. Boy, I tell you what, the doctors are hot on this one. <laughs> and even and everybody listening to you, whether they're an ophthalmologist or not, because if we can do this to ophthalmologists, think what we can now do to another specialty that I met. And so everybody that listens to this ought to be on their phone calling their legislator, their House member, and their senator and saying no to House Bill 416. And they've also introduced one in the Senate, just like it's a Senate Bill 221. So that's House Bill 416 and Senate Bill 221. And if a doctor doesn't know how to find their House member and their senator on the out on the web, they can call MAG, the Medical Association in Georgia, and they can find it for them. But they need to do it right away. How much time do they have as far as being able to reach out and, and touch base with their, their various representatives or senators? Well, I mean, uh, I'm having to hear the bill again tomorrow uh, on Friday. Uh, I'm sure the legislators are going to like that most time they head home and uh, I'll be uh, having to call a meeting right after session is over. Uh, so by tomorrow for the House members, then we're not sure when uh, the Senate is going to hear have the first hearing on Senate Bill 221. But even after they pass out of our committee, they have to go to the Rules Committee. Now, in the House, since the Rules Chairman is on the bill, it's going to move out of the Senate rules to the floor very quickly. And uh, all bills have to be out of the House by the 28th day over to the Senate and vice versa. And so the Senate will be moving things pretty quickly over there. And I believe they got the Senate, the Rules Chairman over there to sign on to the Senate version of the bill. So, I mean, it's moving. I, I think it's very important to to share information like this. As you mentioned, it's very easy in the healthcare space when you see somebody with doctor in, in front of their name to assume a measure of understanding of what that meant. They must have gone through years and years of training, and, and that's not necessarily the case, particularly as it relates to to procedures like this, which can be dangerous, which can have some serious consequences if things go awry. And as we've discussed here, uh, I'm not certain that having an injection done in my eye in an office where there's not a really good emergency backup if things do get problematic, I'm, I'm pleased to be able to share this kind of information with the, with the patient population out there. Well, and I think physicians need to do that with their patients. You know, physicians sometimes are afraid to do anything that they that they think is political, but this is not political. I mean, 
people, patients need to know and need to be educated. Certainly, there is some personal responsibility for patients, but, you know, all the degrees and letters after your name, patients get confused. And that's the reason we tried and moved that bill last time so that we could help patients know who was treating them. And then, you know, if they had a question, they could ask the difference in the training. And, and you're right. It's your eyes. I mean, I'm a reader. I cannot imagine what it must be like to go blind mm-hmm. or to have anything that would severely hamper my ability to read and just to see to get around. Um, our eyes are precious, and uh, we only have a couple. This is not like giving an, an injection in your deltoid muscle of your arm or in your buttocks, as um, we had a famous uh, art, I mean, uh, movie star say in one of the things, Forrest Gump, in the buttocks. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you got, you got some room there. Now, can you cause a problem? You can hit a nerve, but it doesn't happen, you know, very often because you got so much room in those two places. You don't have that with the eye. I mean, around the eye is very vascular, and uh, there's all sorts of blood vessels running around in the eye, and there's no room for a slip. And the eyelid is made up of little tiny layers, and one of the things they want to do is go into one of those little layers and take care of uh, one of the the uh, infections that you get with your eye called uveitis. Those little layers have the difference of a hair, the size of a hair between them. Can you imagine trying to hit the right one with a needle? I mean, when when with they say they practice, practice on themselves. <laughs> well, right, with 30 hours practicing on each other, not patients. Not patients who have a problem with the eye, who are gun-shy and sitting there and could move or jerk or whatever. It's just incredible to me that they think that they should be able to do this, that you know, the patients, unfortunately, don't always know not to let them. Well, I'm so pleased to make the healthcare channel Top Docs Radio available to you to share this information with both the patients and clinicians that check us out on a regular basis. Issues like this that can affect the way healthcare is delivered are some that I really want to try to get the information out about. Of particular importance in my mind is the disparity between the level of training required before the ophthalmologist can perform these procedures as opposed to a doctor of optometry. I know I would want to know that. Well, I I would certainly too. And you know, when the committee, over that 17,000 hours of practice, they're going, well, how many in sticking the needle into the eyelid? Just how many? Well, you know, it's a process when you're in medical school. It's a process of learning about all the drugs and seeing what happens to people. It's a process of doing minor surgeries and always being supervised. You build up to that confidence over all those hours. So it's not just one thing of 30 hours of just sticking a needle in an eye and and saying, oh, yeah, well, I'm proficient in that. So, you know, they wanted to nitpick over that, but there's definitely a difference. Optometry school is 1,900 hours, and compared to the 17,000 hours that the MDs put in in learning the overall care. And, and I'm not against optometrists. I don't go to one, but if I needed glasses and I didn't have stigmatism and I hadn't needed to have my a cataract removed, just fitting glasses and that type of thing, they're very good at what they do. That's what they're trained to do. But when they start expanding out like this, it's dangerous. So I really appreciate the fact that 
I've had a chance to uh, help get this message out. And there are some other bills, too. Medicine is under attack this session, so doctors need to be involved. And MAG is trying to get, Medical Association Georgia is trying to get that news out. There's a balanced billing. They're saying, oh, this is great for patients. Well, no, it's not, but they won't even the bill that's moving in the House, they really wouldn't even talk to the Medical Association to try to work out a compromise. In many ways, medicine is on the hot spot down here during this session. Um, the doctors from all specialties need to be involved and make those calls. Clearly important that whether you're a physician or a patient out there, uh, did you get in touch with your representative and the, the senators serving you? Uh, let them know what your thoughts are. Uh, get over to MAG. I'm sure there's some information up there about this particular bill and, and what it intends to do so that you can speak to those items and voice your opinion to look out for the safety of patients receiving care to the eye here around the state of Georgia. Final thoughts before I let you go. I know you have a busy schedule. Oh, no, just thank you again, and uh, I appreciate patients, and I also appreciate the physicians that dedicate their life to taking care of patients and doing the very best they can to ensure that Georgians get the best health care possible. So uh, thank you to all the docs that are out there working today. My absolute pleasure. Get on over to mag.org, learn more about this bill and other issues that are before the legislators this particular session and, and have your voice be heard, whether you're a physician or a patient. And if you've not done so already in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo. That'll take you to the iTunes store where the Top Docs Radio Show podcast lives. Make sure you subscribe to us. We're talking about all kinds of important topics here here on the Top Docs Radio Show, and that will be downloaded straight to your device for you to check out when it's convenient for you. And obviously, we hope you share this information. Click share, put it out on LinkedIn, put it out on Facebook, let people know that this is up for discussion and they're trying to make decisions around how care is delivered to you and people that are important to you. So we'll say thanks to all the folks that share this information for us out there to their various networks. And Representative Cooper, I've had an opportunity to sit down and talk to you over over the past couple of years a number of times, and I'm really pleased to have you back with us again. I can't wait to do it again. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Everybody out there, we'll see you next time.